Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. He is serious about climate control, about climate change. That is Jay Inslee, governor of Washington, coming out with an candidate for president. He's so serious, he wants to spend $9 trillion putting the United States on the right track in the war against climate change, no doubt. Jay Inslee stepping way out in front on that issue among the uh, 2020 candidates. Hello, everybody. What do you say? He's done so also as governor of Washington State, of course. It's a Friday, Friday, May 17, if you will. Great to see you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us here, being part of the program. As we wrap up this week with uh, take a look at the news of the day and a little look back at the news of the week with all of you, lots going on. Boy, we learned yesterday that uh, <clears throat> not everybody may be doing well under the uh, Trump economy, but boy, one person sure is, Donald Trump. Oh, man, he has turned the White House into a great big cash register. Walking away last week, well, we'll tell you later in the show, last year rather, uh, with uh, a big, big pile of money, even though a lot of his properties have started to lose money. And looks like the number one uh, cash cow for Donald Trump happens to be none other than his hotel right down on Pennsylvania Avenue that we've talked so much about just two blocks from the White House. That's just one of the big stories that we'll be uh, talking with you about here today with all of our guests and with all of you, and so uh, it's good to have you with us. We look forward to hearing from you and your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed, just a couple of other stories making news. Talk about a lot of money. Well, the EPA, you know, Scott Pruitt used to head the EPA, and he got sort of run out because he had uh, racked up all of these improper travel expenses. Well, yeah. a watchdog took a look to see just how much money 
he wasted in his job as the head of the EPA agency. And they recommended to the EPA that they need to recoup $124,000 from Scott Pruitt. The agency's inspector general of the EPA uh, came out, did a whole internal audit, looked at the money, how much money he improperly used, and they said, yep, that is how much he owes. They concluded that 40 trips that Pruitt either took or scheduled during a 10-month period between March 1st and December 31st, 2017, cost taxpayers $985,000. Wow. Yeah. I was going to say, 124, he's getting off easy if all he has to pay is 124, I think. They're yeah. saying that that is the provable improper use. Some of these were looked to be pretty improper. But could have maybe sort of passed it off as business. You know, it's like that thing where you talk about business for three minutes at lunch and then yeah, you say this right. is a working lunch. He kind of got away with some of that, but they're saying that much they know he needs to pay back. Yeah, I think you should pay back the whole million. I, hey, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. What and then skunk. some. What a skunk. How about this? A historic first for Asia. Yesterday, lawmakers in Taiwan approved a bill that would legalize same-sex marriage. They are the first Asian country to pass such gay marriage legislation. Uh, it was about two years ago that the highest court in the land ruled uh, that the existing law but said that marriage between the man and the woman uh -huh. was unconstitutional, yeah. so they moved ahead with the vote. Uh, earlier this morning uh, here on, on, uh, on these shores, uh, they had the vote. They passed it. It will go into effect on May 24th. Uh, that's great. That's a good step forward. Um, the only problem is you get married there, you have to live in Taiwan. I mean, <laughs> okay, I don't know. Fair, Wouldn't be my first choice. But. Fair enough. But, I mean, look, you know, yeah, this is spreading no. around the globe. And, by the way, I think there'll be other Asian countries now follow their lead, I which think is so important. Too. Right. This is the Bill Press Show. One more case of Donald Trump obstructing justice. A new part of the uh, previously undisclosed part of the Mueller report shows that uh, White House attorneys were offering dangling a pardon in front of Michael Flynn if he refused to cooperate with the special counsel. Hey, hello, everybody. With that little bombshell, we start off uh, our Friday, Friday May 17. How about it? Great to see you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. Of course, that's me and that's you. All of us together here make up the Bill Press Show. Uh, for the next two hours, uh, we'll be taking a look at the news of the day on every front, what's happening here in Washington, D.C., around the country and around the globe, uh, and, of course, analyzing it from our progressive point of view with the help of our great guests, and then getting your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Joining us in the lineup of guests today, Daniel Lipman, who is a person who pulls together the great playbook for Politico uh, every day. He'll be joining us. Cameron Joseph from uh, Talking Points Memo, senior political correspondent here as a friend of Bill. Always good to have Cameron along with us. And then Rebecca Entralgo will be along from Think Progress to take a look at President Trump's immigration plan, the new immigration plan, 
cooked up by Jared Kushner, uh, who was there with the president in the Rose Garden yesterday. Uh, we'll talk about that. It was a pretty lackluster uh, appearance on the part of the president, uh, and it's not a plan that's getting a very good reception on the Hill, either from Democrats or Republicans, a plan that's uh, troubling in many aspects, but doesn't look like it's going anywhere. Thank you so much for joining us today. Again, as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. As we join you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and Chicago and all the area around Chicago on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, and on television. How about it? On Free Speech TV. Well, before we get started, we've got to say we heard from so many of you yesterday. And, Peter, we heard from so many of our friends tweeting and retweeting uh, about the big news that um, we, we told you yesterday. Uh, at the end of the month, Friday, May 31, will be the last day of our regular two-hour lineup in the morning or starting your day. But doesn't mean we're going away. We're just going and moving to a new format, a 21st century format, if you will, of a podcast, a series of podcasts uh, with me and you, uh, which we will continue, particularly to focus on the 2020 presidential campaign, which I think is the most exciting Democratic primary we have ever had. I mean, hell, now we have 24 candidates uh, with Bill de Blasio getting in yesterday. Uh, so, again, uh, that's the news. And we remind and thank you again for being with us for so so many of those, so much of those 14 golden years. Um, but we want to remind you so you can keep up with us and follow us and still be part of the new format if you haven't already done so, sign up for the podcast. Just go to BillPressShow.com, sign up for the podcast. And most importantly, follow us on Twitter, on Twitter, at uh, BP Show. So, Peter, I don't know, you you were more on top of this than I was, but uh, uh, some of our really good friends, Joe Cirincioni, I saw, was right, uh, was out there. Sam Stein from uh, now Daily Beast was huffing their post. Um, boy, Graham Vise, Governing Magazine. I saw Kate Martell from the Hill. I mean, it's like our whole team. We call it Bill Press and Friends. Yeah, we got a lot of friends. We had and, a lot of people tweeting about it yesterday. Yeah, and uh, and saying some really nice things. Thank you for the for the comments about about the show and about the opportunities that uh, Peter, you and I are most proud of that we've been able to give to a lot of up and coming young journalists in Washington who had their fir very first media experience here on the Bill Press Show. You and I have talked about this over the years, and this was not an accident. We we sort of did no. this yeah. by design. We we welcomed on a lot of young reporters that covered a lot of uh, weird beats sometimes. Uh, Aspen Soupsang, who was on the oh, show earlier this, earlier yes. this week, I think put it best. Uh, he said, I've said this before, but since the show is in its final month, I just want to reiterate, Bill Press was one of the very few hosts who would have me on regularly back when I was an intern slash less than nobody <laughs> years ago, and I've never forgotten that. I know a lot of reporters that would say the same thing. I'm sad to see the Bill Press show go off the air. Uh, for all of the kindness Bill and Peter and the rest of the gang have shown me over the years, many young, confused, scared, and green politics reporters <laughs> in this city owe them for their support. It was also maybe the most fun political show to do in Washington, D.C., by the way. 
Uh, uh, those he, are the words it, from Swain. And he's one of the ones who made it fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he's right. I mean, we had Swen on, who now, if you watch MSNBC or you watch Cable, oh, yeah, you you'll see, see him, him. On, the, on there right. all the time. We had him on seven years ago, maybe more than that, when he really, he was literally, he was the movie guy at Mother Jones. He wrote about right. entertainment and movies. So we had him on uh, early, early on. And that's something that we tried to do. You know, we've always tried to have, you know, young reporters on the show uh, who covered weird things. You know, Dave Jameson uh, from HuffPost said, right. you know, they, we've been talking about labor issues for over a decade on the show. Right. Rebecca Lieber, uh, who's with Mother Jones, talking about the stuff that we've uh, had her on to talk about environmental stuff way before the Green New Deal was uh, in vogue. Uh uh, Rebecca and Drago, Addie Baird from Think Progress, both we said, you know, we had them on and we took their work seriously from the very beginning. Uh, so that it was really nice to sort of just hear that yesterday. It's great to give them an opportunity, but also they had something to contribute. Amen. I mean, they were they were hustling, right? Amen. Yeah, into some Into some important areas that nobody else was taking seriously at the time. And, you know, we've had some um, uh, really big names, right, that I'm proud of, right? Uh, I mean, Nancy Pelosi's been on the show, Bernie Sanders on the show, Sherrod Brown, you know, you, uh, Hillary Clinton. I mean, you can go back. But the ones that, so we're proud of all of those. And we could do a of list course. of the great big names, right? Sure. Uh, fine. But um, really the ones that are sort of our signature and we're most proud of are these young people who got their start here on the Bill Press Show and now Sabrina Siddiqui is here on CNN. Josh McIntosh is here on CNN. Um, you can go down to MSNBC. Go go across the board. Uh, people that started out here, or at least were part of the show early on. Evan McMorris Santoro also Evan said McMorris, something yeah. nice about it uh, us yesterday. Uh, he we had him on the first time we had him on. He was with Talking Points Memo, uh, a website, a uh, uh, political website, and now he's on TV. He's on HBO. Right. You know, yeah. on Vice News. So, and he, you know, he talked about, you know, the times that he's hosted the show as well. Because uh, Evan hosted the show a couple times, including he shared one memory when he uh, hosted the show around Thanksgiving. And we had like the uh, uh, Thanksgiving tips. We took calls on air to go that way. I mean, just so much ground was covered with so many different, uh, different people on the show over the years. Uh, and, you know, I think I was just thinking back, boy, this is like, uh, boy, didn't mean to get into old time's sake here, but I just, <laughs> but I, uh, maybe the most fun we had was with Kinky Friedman. Oh, man. Kinky Friedman. Yeah. And his band. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. Right. Yeah, he used to come in when he was in town. Mm-hmm. You never knew what Kinky was going to say. I was going through some old photos uh, yesterday. I'll have to show this. I haven't even showed you this yet. But I uh, found a photo from the first year of the show when we had uh, John Podesta and Anthony Bourdain on the oh, same show. Oh, God. Oh, God. And it was, again, it was a Thanksgiving Anthony show. Anthony Bourdain, one of our favorite guests. Yeah. I'm most proud of him. Yeah. He, he used to come on the show uh, four, 14 years ago. Yes. Yes. And it was the Thanksgiving show, and Podesta came on John and shared. John Podesta showed us how to make a turducken. A turducken. He had yes. a famous turducken he recipe. He had a famous uh, uh, easy turducken recipe. Yeah, easier. Right. Easier, easier than right. no, no, <laughs> the that's way right. some people do it. <laughs> but uh, he shared his turducken recipe. Bourdain was in studio. It's just like, 
Right. We've been at this for a while, man. Yeah, absolutely. And we're and we're and we're, we're not going away. I keep saying that we're just going to continue in a new format with all of you. And uh, the, again, the way to make sure you're still part of it. We want you to still be part of it. Of course, uh, sign up on our podcast. Uh, sign up for the podcast at BillPressShow.com and follow us on Twitter at BP Show. So, God, I'm telling you, there's no doubt. Now we know why Donald Trump ran for president. He didn't think he was going to win, but he still thought he would give it a shot because he saw it was a chance to make even more money. I mean, he wasn't such a successful businessman, we know now. He filed bankruptcy, what, four or five times. His properties were losing money. He couldn't make any deals. But I guess he thought, hmm, maybe I'll try this political thing and maybe that'll pay off for me. Bingo. It sure did. So we found out yesterday because the president has not released his tax returns, will not release his tax returns, but he is required to release financial of everybody in a federal employees required to release uh, a federal kind of statement, a financial statement rather, of their holdings and what they own. So the president and what they made that particular year. Uh, the president, who takes no salary, he gives his salary four hundred thousand dollars to a charity. Uh, but no wonder he doesn't—he sure as hell doesn't need it. Um, in the first year of his presidency, uh, Donald Trump made four hundred and fifty million dollars. First year, twenty seventeen. Last year, just released yesterday, Donald Trump walked home with four hundred and thirty. $4 million in pocket change. Ah, that's a pretty good deal for Donald Trump. Uh, he is living fat and high off the American taxpayers using what he's doing, of course, is using the presidency to pump up his properties, to pump up the brand, and to pocket the money because we remember that every other president has done so, but Donald Trump refused to do what every other president has done, which is put his uh, get put his uh, investments aside, divest himself of his financial holdings before he took the oath of office. Donald Trump said, "No, I'm not going to do that. I won't have anything to do with the running of it. I'm going to leave it over to Don Jr. and to Eric, but still." Uh, I'm going to hold on to it, and boy, he has held on to it, and it is paying off for him. Of that $434 million, get this, almost $41 million, $40.8 million that he got in profits from the Trump International Hotel right here in Washington, D.C., just up the street from the White House, a couple of blocks up the street. And, of course, that's the place where there's now two lawsuits moving through the courts, that this is not only a violation of presidential ethics, but this is a violation uh, of the emoluments clause where the president, because so many foreign governments and foreign business leaders are going there in order to influence the president, that this amounts to a, a constitutional uh, um, a violation of the Constitution uh, and the emoluments clause. By the way, um, he got yesterday, or last year also, so $40.8 million from the Trump International Hotel, $22.7 million from Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, he goes down to Mar-a-Lago for a purpose, my friends. He goes down to Mar-a-Lago to, again, get the brand name out there. People want to go. 
people want to sign up, $200,000 for a membership, uh, and it is paying off. At the same time, it's interesting, uh, almost all, while he's, don't, don't feel sorry for him, $434 million, uh, but at the same time, uh, most of his properties have shown a decline in revenue as well because um, you know, the Trump name is not necessarily magic anymore given Donald Trump's performance and policies as president of the United States. In fact, uh, the Washington Post reports this morning that uh, 8 out of 12, so the president, Donald Trump, owns 12 golf courses in the United States. 8 out of 12 of those golf courses last year uh, made less money than they did the year before. Uh, three hotels of his hotels uh, in um, Toronto, in Panama, and in lower Manhattan have actually taken the Trump name off the hotel because um, they, um, <laughs> they were losing business <laughs> just because of the Trump name. And that's maybe the case with Chicago. There are a lot of questions about the Trump name coming off the Trump Tower there in Chicago. Uh, and um, Mar at Mar-a-Lago, even though he made, what did I tell you, um, $22.7 million at Mar-a-Lago last year, still uh, Mar-a-Lago revenues were down 10%. So it's interesting. Across the board, uh, again, the Trump property is not not doing as well in 2018 as they did in 2017, but Donald Trump himself walking away with $434 million. He has turned the White House into this giant cash machine. And I remember back when he was running for president, Donald Trump said, watch, I'm going to be the only candidate who runs for president and makes money doing so. And you know what? That was that what turned out to be, we thought was a joke at the time. Uh, no, wasn't a joke. It was a campaign promise that he, that's one campaign promise he kept, and that's one campaign promise that he has continued uh, to keep alive and to follow as president of the United States. Yep, so think of that. And by the way, he made $434 million last year. Okay, here's a question. How much did he pay in taxes? And of course... We don't know the answer to that question because he won't release his tax returns. Uh, the president also yesterday went to the Rose Garden to announce a new immigration plan, uh, which has been cobbled together by a son-in-law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner. I think you can tell a lot about this immigration plan by just listening to the way Donald Trump presented it. Okay. Uh, I want you to listen to the conviction in his voice. I want you to listen to the energy in his voice. I want you to listen to the determination in his voice that this is an important proposal that he really believes in and that he's going to fight like hell to get through Congress. Okay, That's the message I want you to listen for when Donald Trump explains, okay, Here's our new proposal. Through these steps, we will deliver an immigration system that respects and even strengthens our culture, our traditions, and our values. <laughs> Donald, wake I'm up! I'm sorry. Donald, you're snoring wake up, Donald. at the podium. Good Lord, yeah. 
But this is the thing that uh, respects our values. Newcomers compete for jobs against <laughs> the most vulnerable Americans and put pressure on our social safety net and generous welfare programs. So who we are now, he says, through this immigration, and this is going to continue it, one nation, under God, indivisible. All right, I'll let him say it. Out of many people, from many places, we have forged one people and one nation under God, and we're very proud of it. So the essence of this, we're going to... <laughs> sleepy Donald. I mean, by sleepy... <laughs> sleepy Donald. Sleepy creepy. Yeah, absolutely. Lo hey, low energy Don. Yeah, right. There he is. I mean, you know, you can tell a lot about Trump. I mean, when he, he gets up in the rallies, man, you know, he's full of himself and he's having fun with the crowd and the whole thing. I was there in the Rose Garden when he announced he was going to pull out of the Paris Accords. I mean, man, with gusto. That thing yesterday was so low-key and so low-energy. And now we're going to talk more about this um, proposal, plan, whatever, which everybody says is DOA uh, on Congress. Uh, Jared Kushner came up and briefed a group of Republican senators, uh, after which there was a collective yawn, and most of the Republican senators walked out. And even, even Lindsey Graham, number one apologist for Donald Trump, walked out and said, uh, this plan is never going to. Uh, uh, something about this plan doesn't have any chance of becoming a law. Uh, Susan Collins said the same thing. So it hasn't gotten a great reception among Republicans or Democrats uh, on the Hill. And we're going to talk more about it with Rebecca and Trago from Think Progress a little bit later in the program. But what this does is sort of turn immigration upside down. That instead of just we're the shining city on the Hill. And people come here to start a new life. People come here for this, this great opportunity that America represents. And especially, mostly, people come here to join other family members, to follow them here, and to make their new life here. Now, this turns it upside down. And what this does is it says, we're going to give priority to people who have college degrees, who have engineering degrees, who have who speak English already, who have uh, are high, highly skilled. In other words, it's going to be an immigration system based on merit. Merit. We want only the very best. We're going to pick and choose those, and they're the ones who are going to come in. The irony of it is that, as uh, Senator Blumenthal from Kentucky, uh, I'm sorry, from Connecticut, mentioned yesterday, under that under this plan. Donald Trump's grandfather couldn't have made it. It is a mockery of what America means. Neither Donald Trump's grandfather nor my father would be able to come to America under this proposal. And we think about the traditional immigrant, right, um, and, and the grandparents of kids that we knew who were immigrants. The grandparents, a lot of times, didn't speak English. You know, they came from the old country. They came here and they were learning English. Uh, they didn't come here uh, as um, and, and so many stories. This is the story of America. They didn't come here as like a successful businessman from Kiev or someplace who then came here and opened a branch of the jewelry store or whatever they had in the old country. 
No, they came here and they worked their way up and they started businesses in this country and they became successful leaders of the business, whether it was Hollywood or whether it was banking, whether it was railroads, whether it was steel. That's the American story. Donald Trump again, flipping it upside down. Speaker Pelosi yesterday saying how condescending this was, uh, this whole approach to immigration. I want to just say something about the word that they use, merit. It is really a condescending word. Are they saying family is without merit? Are they saying most of the people who have ever come to the United States in the history of our country are without merit because they don't have an engineering degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very good point. So, I mean, Donald Trump is throwing it out there. Um, don't expect it to go anywhere, uh, but it is still troubling. And I, I got to say is, you know, we've heard so much about the great big plan on the Middle East that Jared Kushner is cooking up. If this is a sign of what Jared Kushner is able to cook up, yeah, I, I think Donald Trump better get somebody else as a senior advisor. Uh, not, not very impressive. Uh, and again, apparently the reports are that when Jared Kushner met with Republican senators on the Hill, uh, they were not impressed. They were not impressed either. Uh, meanwhile, uh, just a quick look at the uh, 2020 front yesterday. Again, you know the numbers. Just got to say this, okay? The New York Times says there were 22 until de Blasio jumped in, and now there are 23. I, I think we got to say fake news. Fake news. We've got the count. Peter and I went over the count again this morning. They didn't count Mike Gravel. Now, come on. Mike Gravel. I he mean, can make it, you know? Whether or not Mike Gravel is a serious candidate, he's not. I'm not going to say, but I would say he's probably not. Yeah, but but he's but he's in. He's in. I mean, there are a lot of people on that list who I would say are not serious candidates that the New York Times includes. He is as serious as Marianne Williamson. Sure, he is as serious as Wayne Messam. Yeah, yes, he is. Uh, at least those two. I would say more serious because he's actually run for president before. Uh, and I mean, was, not that it, not that he got right. anywhere, but he's done this before. And he was a U.S. senator, right? Yeah, 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 right. So at any rate, we put him on the list. And uh, so with de Blasio, that means 23 before, now 24. Uh, Bill de Blasio yesterday on Good Morning America with George Stephanopoulos. Uh, you've got to say de Blasio did not have the most impressive rollout of uh, any of the candidates so far, for sure. Uh, but he's uh, on Good Morning America with George Stephanopoulos talking about what I did in New York, I'm going to do for the country. We're doing things like guaranteed health care for all New Yorkers, including mental health care, the issue that Sherlane is focused on, paid sick leave, pre-K for all. These are things that change working people's lives for the better. All Americans deserve that kind of opportunity to live a better say life. say it's a tough city. We're hearing it outside. Some protesters came. A little serenade, George. A little serenade. Yeah, there are protesters uh, calling him liar, liar, outside the uh, ABC studios. Uh, and de Blasio said, look, I know Donald Trump better than anybody else. I'm the one who can deal with him. I even have a nickname for him. In the course of this campaign, we're going to talk about what working people need and how their government should be on their side. Right now, the federal government is not on the side of working people. And that's because Donald Trump is playing a big con on America. I call him Con Don. Every New Yorker knows he's a con artist. We know his tricks. We know his playbook. I know how to take him on. I've been watching him for decades. He's trying to convince working Americans he's on their side. It's been a lie from day one. 
There it is, Con Don. And <laughs> and by the way, if de Blasio's um, purpose here or his goal was to uh, trigger a response from Donald Trump, uh, he succeeded. Donald Trump, who cannot resist uh, talking about the Democratic candidates, each one of them as they jump in, blasted, uh, b- blasted de Blasio back yesterday. I would be very surprised to see him in there for a long period, but it's just not going to happen. If you like high taxes and if you like crime, you can vote for him. But most people aren't into that. Uh, and he said he was the worst president ever. By the way, it's worth noting, no sitting mayor of any American city has ever been elected president of the United States. Bad news for Bill de Blasio and Mayor Pete. No little city, no middle-sized city, no big city. No sitting mayor has ever been elected. de Blasio wants to be the first. All right. Uh, quick break, and then Daniel Lippman joins us from Politico, uh, author of the great Politico playbook. Uh, a good friend of the program. Uh, lots to talk about. Take a quick break, and we'll be right back. We always want to hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And here we go on this Friday, May 17. It is The Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from Washington, D.C. And joining you from our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the good men and women of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW. Under President Mark Perrone, they are a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for America's hardworking families at all of our great retail grocery chains around the country. Um, They also happen to be the home union for the Bernie Sanders campaign and the Pete Buttigieg campaign. Uh, And so they're moving into the political arena as well. Check out their website at ufcw.org and join me in welcoming uh, to the program from Politico. I keep telling you, if you don't read play Politico playbook, you don't know what's going on uh, in Washington or around, really, in the world. Uh, Daniel Lippmann's co-author of the playbook uh, and on Politico, joining us in studio. Daniel, always good to see you. Thanks for having me, Bill. Up early. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you start early. I mean, this is late for him, right? This I mean, is you're, late. You're an early bird. I've been up have you since done TV yet this morning? I didn't do TV this morning. Uh-huh. I have I have three TV hits uh, from Hartford, Connecticut, this weekend. I'm going to keep shuttling back and forth between uh, my girlfriend's uh, high school reunion, and then to Hartford, and then back 45 minutes. You know, three times. That you mean you're going to be in Hartford, Connecticut for this? I will. I will have to go to Hartford, 45 oh, minutes from, drive from the school. To, oh, jeez. You know, do CNN and MSNBC, but, you know, I like helping out those shows. So. Yeah. All right. Good for you, and thanks for coming in. Um, what time's the playbook actually? Pub, what's your pub we, time? We, we publish between 5.45 and 6 a.m., and we've tried to adopt a very strict schedule on that because yeah. it's almost like the Bill well, Press Show or the Today Show. You guys don't come out. You don't start going out at 6.05 or 5.55. No. You, you yeah. start at on the hour. And so that's we want that regularity. Good, and people are looking for it. Right? Yeah, and they okay. want that afternoon edition as well. It's just like like right now is the time before we all move ahead on our show that we always take a quick look at our people who've been commenting and and tweeting in and uh, Peter. So 
What yes, do we got? Yes, indeed. Let's go to Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Let's comments on 2020. Uh, let's start out, first of all, with somebody who says de Blasio is getting in at the wrong time. Just another way to split the vote so that the superdelegates can control the nomination. This is going to be a disaster, and we'll hand the election once again to Donald Trump. Okay, I'm not going to go that far. Now, just remember, the superdelegates have really been, they've had their wings clipped, right? They cannot vote on the first ballot at right. the, the at the national convention. They've so made some improvements. I don't think you have to worry about the superdelegates. Uh, Jacob, we talked about Mike Gravel and whether or not he was a serious candidate. Jacob uh, sent us in the direction of a poll showing that Mike Gravel got more support in the latest Emerson polling uh, poll. He got more support than Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar, John Delaney, Jay Inslee, <laughs> Tim Ryan, Eric Swalwell. He's tied with Michael Bennett. Wow. I'm not saying that's in every poll, but in this particular poll, Mike Gravel actually is... How much? How much, What percentage is Gravel at? He is at a whopping one percent. Oh, the other's not even one. Well, they, so he's at like one point six, oh, yeah. and everybody else is like. I think those 1. people 3. are trying to just mess with the pollster. I do too. I yeah. think that's yeah. probably right. I'm sure I have some friends back home who would have said, "Oh, that guy." Do I actually <laughs> think that Mike Gravel has more support than Cory Booker or Amy Klobuchar? No, I do not. No, no, I do not. No. But we had to, you know, we had to say it. We well, the only it. issue, that's what we talked about earlier, Daniel, is that uh, the New York Times said there were 22 candidates and Blas de Blasio is the 23rd. Yeah. The Bill Press show holds that there are 23 candidates because we do count Mike Gravel, the uh, New York okay. Times does not, and therefore de Blasio becomes number 24. Do you count Andrew Yang? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's been here in the studio. Wayne Mason? Yes, yes. from Florida. Yes. Right. I mean, if, they've, if they're out there, we count yeah, them. Yeah. Marianne Williamson. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Peter, are we? And is that it? Okay. I'm yeah, sorry. that's it. That's <laughs> it. That's it. <laughs> Felt like we'd moved on there. <laughs> All right. Good. Um, how soon are we going to war with Iran? This is all a head fake. I, I don't think we're going to war with Iran. We should not worry about a conflict with a country that uh, you know doesn't pose an existential threat to the U.S. right now and. Trump is pretty mad with his advisors for beating the war drums because that's clearly not, uh, you know, he's not seen as a war monger, Trump. Uh, whenever he talks about war, it seems like in a half-hearted way. He wants to get out of foreign entanglements, not get in. He doesn't want a war on his record. And remember how he would say that he opposed the Iraq war. Well, that was actually partly true. There was times when he supported it. Right. Uh, a lot of Americans were on the fence about the Iraq war. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, but make no mistake, Trump was not one of those people uh, who was Dick, like Dick Cheney in their views on the Iraq war. He was a guy that flip-flopped a number of times. Right. Uh, what's interesting is, though, that the reason we're in, uh, even talking about this is because earlier in the week it was reported that John Bolton has put, had put a plan together to send 120,000 troops to the Middle East. Uh, yesterday, reportedly, uh, in, in the Situation Room, Donald Trump told his cabinet or the, his security people, who include John Bolton and Mike Pompeo and the new Secretary of Defense, I do not want a ground war. Yeah. I do not want a war with Iran. Right? Kind of. I think they were going going above their over their skis, and that uh, they were asking uh, for uh, a war when there is not there's no American groundswell of support for this, and usually. You know, 
uh, president is going to have to get the American public behind him or her, but we just don't see people thinking that is, uh, you know, they haven't built the case for months, and it's like, uh, you know, right. the, there was also the technical agreements on the nuclear front, whether they are still complying, that is not as, um, that doesn't feel like it's like, you know, 9-11 is coming to our shores. And there was also no one incident or event that could be held as evidence of the fact that Iran has suddenly become a military threat to the United States, right? I mean, they say now that they had some photographs which they thought might be some missiles on a ship. It it it, it sounds very like and then golf, that, of, golf of Tonkin yeah. to me. But uh, And people were comparing this to the buildup to the war in Iraq where yeah. – Phony intelligence got us into, although the pretty costly war. Feel like they were actually able to do the build up to Iraq much better than this. Oh, totally. This looks like totally. amateurs yeah. that they yeah. haven't uh, yeah. galvanized the public enough. And so the uh, and the AP had, ran a story with a single source about oh an administration official is saying yeah that Iran did X Y Z or whatever. Uh, so what's interesting, and uh, Peter dug this up, back in um, November 2011, okay, so Barack Obama is on the verge of running for re-election, and Donald Trump is the businessman in New York who at the time was putting out videos from the desk of Donald Trump, and there's a little, I think there's a little window into Donald Trump's thinking. Our president will start a war with Iran because he has absolutely no ability to negotiate. He's weak and he's ineffective. So the only way he figures that he's going to get reelected, and as sure as you're sitting there, is to start a war with Iran. Now, I'm more militant and more militaristic than the president. I believe in strength. But to start a war in order to get elected, and I believe that's going to happen, would be an outrage. <laughs> an outrage. <laughs> would be an outrage. And, yeah. Uh, Although it feels like John Bolton, if he was president, he was doing this, and that's one thing. But John Bolton, no one elected John Bolton. Right. And yeah. uh, there are clashes between Bolton and Trump on this. And uh, you know that's one reason why Trump met with the Swiss president yesterday because the Swiss are a liaison between the U.S. and the Iranians. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's trying to transmit a message to the Iranians about wanting to negotiate or uh, trying to, wanting to talk with uh, the Iranian regime. Uh, and so that's at least a good sign that uh, we're uh, not going to— Yeah, I mean, give credit where credit is due. Uh, the fact that uh, Donald Trump, it appears, uh, is not going to fall into the trap set by— uh, John Bolton uh, is, is I think, a good thing we can all be grateful for um, and happy about. Uh, by the way, I just read yesterday uh, a New Yorker piece a couple of weeks ago, a profile of John Bolton. He, I mean, this guy, he... he I if, need if to he, read that, yeah. If he, seriously, if he had... A, I forget the... Finkins? Or Dexter Filkins. Dexter Filkins, thank you. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, if he had his way, we would have a ground war in North Korea today, Venezuela, oh, and Iran. Yeah. Three wars at once. Oh, no. I mean, he plus, plus, we still have some troops in Afghanistan. We still have some troops in Syria. We still have, you know. We have still troops in Iraq. In Germany. Yeah. And, <laughs> and by the way, and places that we don't even know about, like Yemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not or Yemen. North Africa. North Africa, right. Um, at any rate, Bolton is the ultimate hawk, and he thinks preemptive wars is the way to go. It's the only way to teach these people a lesson. 
I mean, seriously, he advocated a preemptive strike against North Korea years ago and against Iran. Uh, and, of course, he was the one who put the military option on Venezuela on the table. So um, uh, I think we, we, we do agree it's not going to happen. Uh, there is a war, though, with China over tariffs. Yeah. How is this playing out for so for Trump? Uh, it's not going as well as he would have liked because he thought that the Chinese abrogated what they were going to say yes to in terms of removing uh, their own market barriers and changing the laws in the Chinese uh, law book on this stuff. Uh, but they did not want to... Uh, you know, relent so easily after this trade deal. So they want to make it on their own terms. And so they could sign something, uh, the two leaders, and then in a month or so, then the Chinese would change the laws. But the uh, Trump wants this to happen immediately. Uh, and so this is posing real big threats to the global economy. But it does feel like since the U.S. is doing still pretty well economically, that we can withstand that. But if this spreads to Europe and if the uh, NAFTA 2.0 doesn't get ratified so that uh, those uh, tariffs on uh, you know steel uh, and aluminum aren't lifted, then uh, this could be bad news for the president. Well, you know, it, it's, it, he seems to be getting, it, it seems that not having as serious an impact as we thought, the first day when China retaliated, right, the market crashed yep. 617 points. And then the next day, I mean, Donald Trump tweeted out and he even made some comments about, no, we're okay. I'm going to talk to him. We're going to meet at the G20 yeah, you know, yeah. on top of this. We'll Market to bounce back up, right? So, And he had told us uh, in an interview, Trump, that um, you know he did that one tweet and then the market turned around and is, was up, you know, whatever, 141.8 points. He, he had the exact number. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That is kind of indicative of he views himself as a great negotiator, but so far we have not seen that as much in evidence where what's the best, you know, he's going to get. And uh, if the the Chinese are definitely scared about, uh, you know, who, how rash he is and how he doesn't seem to be a normal American president in their minds and most other people's. And so that makes that makes it easier for him to introduce uncertainty, and the Chinese are much more vulnerable than we are to these well, types of terrorists. Without doubt, the best interview um, on the on this issue of, of the week um, was Chris Wallace on Fox News with oh, Larry, Larry Kudlow. Kudlow yeah. So the president making the point that all this money is flowing into the, tr- because of tariffs, all this money is flowing into the Treasury from the Chinese. You know, and uh, remember, trade, Trump said trade wars are easy to win. Easy to win, um, yeah. So far, and Larry Kudlow, who has always been anti-tariff, yeah. always been his whole life. Uh, he's on his, he's out there on Fox News trying to do his best to defend what the president is proposing, and he can't quite do so. Uh, here, just uh, the best of the week. That little exchange again. Our country can take in 120 billion dollars a year in tariffs, paid for mostly by China, by the way. Not by us. A lot of people try and steer it in a different direction. It's really paid, ultimately, it's paid for by, largely by China. Chris Wallace. But, Larry, that isn't true. It's <laughs> not China that pays tariffs. It's the American importers, the American companies that pay what, in effect, is a tax increase and oftentimes passes it on to U.S. consumers. 
Uh, fair enough. In fair fact, enough. Both sides, <laughs> both sides will pay in these things. And, of course, it depends. Well, if it's a tariff on goods coming into the country, the Chinese aren't paying. Uh, no, but the Chinese will suffer GDP losses and so forth um, with respect to a diminishing export market and goods that they may need for their own uh, I understand that, but the president says China doesn't that China it pays the tariffs. They may suffer consequences, but it's U.S. businesses and U.S. consumers who pay. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yes, to some extent. I, mean, yeah, I don't disagree right. with that. He's got. He, he, they, uh, Chris had got him, so you know, he he got him good. <laughs> he did. I was interested. I thought it would be interesting if you were fly on the wall. The conversation between Donald Trump and Larry Kudlow. The afterwards. Next time. Afterwards, yeah. right. The next there was articles in maybe the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal about uh, how Trump was mad at Kudlow for seeming to throw him under the bus. Right. Uh, what? Who's Dan Scavino? So Dan Scavino is Trump's social media director. Uh, Which means what? So he is the man, the caretaker behind the Twitter. And so... You did a profile, you and your profile. colleagues on, on Scavino. So... For tw Donald Trump's tweets, do we blame Scavino or Trump? Uh, mostly blame Trump. Who writes them? He writes. Trump yeah. writes most of them. And yeah. Scavino. He allowed to us. He told us that, uh, so, you know, Scavino occasionally weighs in on them. But I think that it was. It's more than that. They uh, they're very close confidants, and you know, Scavino is brought into the Oval Office multiple times a day. He's by Trump's side more than any other aide, except for the family members, because he's one of the last survivors uh, of the original campaign people. At in, the in your piece, you write he, he'll shout out, get Scavino in here. Yes, get Scavino in here when he was trying to justify his Syria policy to all these lawmakers who wanted to uh, keep U.S. troops in. And then Trump proceeded to uh, get Dan to explain that, uh, well, the Syria policy is popular on Twitter, at least. Well, so when we see him like this morning, early this morning, or late last night, when uh, those those tweets are Donald Trump himself, right? And usually you can tell yeah, too yeah. from the misspelling or from the all caps or something. The, they have Dan doesn't get into the office at five a.m. So. Uh, uh, and does Scavino though write some of the tweets during the day? Uh, he will Do draft some of the tweets <laughs> and then present them for Trump's approval. Uh, and then sometimes he will uh, write, he will retweet a bunch and also write his own tweets that he just posts because he knows that Trump will like them. Like, you know, great crowd here in Alabama oh, or whatever. Right. With the picture. Uh, and then so you can kind of tell that's Dan's work. Trump is not, you know, looking through pictures and finding the, that. The personal stuff like going out after going after Beto or going after uh, after Joe Biden, that's pure Trump, right? Yeah. He's not Scavino will sometimes help advise on the content if if Trump is thinking, I want to tweet this and how do yeah. I phrase it? Uh, although I don't know if, how much he asks, how do I phrase it? It's more like they will offer suggestions. You've alluded a couple of times to a uh, an interview you had with the president. When was that? So that was uh, last week. Uh, and How many of you were there? It was three of us, me, Andrew Stuccia, and Eliana Johnson. Uh, and we were at the White House, and it was a phone interview, actually, since uh, the uh, they try to limit how many, how much uh, reporters get access to the Oval Office sometimes. But a phone interview is better than no interview. And so, were you at the White House? We we're at the White House as we took this phone call, which was kind of funny. <laughs> he was at the White House, and you were at the White 20, House, twenty feet away, and you were talking on the phone. 
Like, were you in the briefing room? Where were you? We were uh, in, they gave us, um, you know, we didn't want to do the call right in the middle of the briefing room, so we had a, a used a private office. Uh, and he was upstairs in the o- Oval Office. I think it's the same same floor. Same floor. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know just exactly where. But that's funny. And then they would not let you see him. It's not. They wouldn't let me let us see him. It's more Trump's. It's up to Trump. And so, if he wants to have a long conversation in, uh, you know, with reporters in the Oval Office, you know, he can easily have made that happen. And so. And that's always the hope that you get an in-person interview. But did you have to um, let them know ahead of time what you wanted to talk to him about? So uh, I'm not going to get into too much of the okay, you know, behind the scenes because it, it was more cu- handled by Andrew Restuccia, yeah. my colleague on that. Um, but if, you know, the reason we had the interview in the first place was to uh, talk about Dan Scavino and Got to it. get Trump's take yeah. on him. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we wanted to uh, we weren't going to lose that on the opportunity to talk about other issues. Absolutely day. not. All right. Did, among other issues, did you ask him about the 4th of July? We did not ask him about the 4th of July. But I have heard from White House aides that they might stay in, t- stay in town this year because they would want to watch that. Well, but but Trump plans. I mean, there's a story in The Washington Post this morning that the mayor of D.C. is totally opposed to what Donald I'm sure Trump he is. wants I'm to I'm sure they she, are. She, she is. What, she, what he wants to do with the 4th of July, which is totally make it Donald-centric, right? The Donald show. Yeah. Uh, the Yeah, so I, I don't know how that's going to play out, but he is the president, so they could, I'm sure he'll figure out some way to uh, you know, weigh in and to have his say on July 4th. Uh, which he's, he's including... Changing the program, moving the program from the Capitol to the Lincoln Memorial, and himself giving a speech. Yes, as part of it, right? Well, meaning he's, they've always wanted to have a, a campaign mili- rally, another MAGA hat. They've always wanted to rally. have a uh, a uh, you know, military the parade, parade uh, and Trump is all about that. And he's obsessed with uh, those shows of military force. As we, um, um, Daniel Lippman with us from Playbook, uh, from Politico, politico.com, right? Politico.com. Yep. Um, we t- talked a little bit earlier about this. So yesterday the financial records came out, uh, which uh, a president, he is supposed to release his tax returns, but he doesn't, not, not required by law. But uh, federal officials are required to report their financial holdings like once a year. Senators yeah. do, members of Congress do. And the president's came out yesterday showing last year he made $434 million. It's a good amount of money. Uh, nice chunk of change. You and I could live on that, right? Yeah. Pretty well. Uh, and uh, $40.8 million of that came from Trump Hotel. The Trump Hotel, yeah. All those foreign dignitaries staying there adds up. And just those like, overpriced drinks, and uh, you know, I've eaten there. Have you eaten there at the? Hotel? Uh, I hate to admit that I have once. Who did yes. you eat with? Whoa! Wait a minute here. Uh, I don't know. Tell me. Peter, is that a secret? You can say it's, it's up to you. I didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go in there. Uh, I, I had had dinner at the bar with Julie Mason from uh, cool. Sirius XM. Yes. Did you see the? Famous Trump celebrities around the bar that day. Me, yeah. 
<laughs> no. Right. Corey Lewandowski, he likes to hang out there. Brad Parscale, Trump's campaign manager. But the point is, Donald Trump has found a way to make a lot of money so you, while you, being president of the United and you, States. And you contributed to that. I did. I, I say. I, I, we, I played I, guilty, too. I also picked up the tab, right? That's so, nice. Yeah. Um, no, it's what's interesting is that the uh, besides the Trump D.C. hotel, a lot of the other Trump properties are not as... Not, they, they've declined a little they've bit. They've not doing as because, well. Because uh, right. for the typical liberal or just centrist, they're not as interested in, uh, you know, patronizing these uh, right. properties. Right. Yeah. Even Mar-a-Lago's uh, revenues are down, although they're still doing pretty well down there. Uh, and that wraps it up for us. Hey, Daniel, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Bill. All right. All right. Have a great one, and uh, we'll see you again soon. When we come back, Cameron Joseph joins us as a friend of Bill from Talking this Points Memo. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show, and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Damn right he's serious about climate change. Jay Inslee says, I've got a plan to tackle it. And it's going to cost us $9 trillion. Leading the field of Democratic candidates in uh, being serious about climate change. The governor of Washington State. Hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Friday, May 17, it is the Bill Press Show. Good to see you today. Great to have you with us as we join you coast to coast on the radio and television and online with all the news of the day uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Uh, financial records released yesterday showing uh, Donald Trump making some $434 million uh, last year. He's a man who has found out how to get very, very wealthy um, as taking advantage of the office and the opportunities of the president of the United States. We also learned yesterday some new parts of the Mueller report released, which shows that uh, Donald Trump also dangled a pardon in front of the Michael Flynn, former national security advisor, if he did not cooperate with special counsel Robert Mueller. We've got lots to talk about. That's why it's good to have here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, a senior political correspondent from Talking Points Memo and our good friend, Cameron Joseph. Cameron, it's good to see you. Always a pleasure. Thanks I'm going to miss this. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and Cameron, not only here as a guest, but uh, often sitting in the uh, big chair himself when uh, I was out of town. So we got lots to cover. We'll jump right into it. Uh, as you know, with all of your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. But first, 
This Let's see what Peter's got. Court press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Little update, Bill. Yes. Told you yesterday about how a Jeff Koons art piece, Rabbit, oh, sold yeah, for right. $91 million. We now know who bought it. Oh, we, t- well, we didn't know who bought it at the time. I said it was a Saudi prince. You, I, I have to tell you, you were wrong. It was bought by an American art dealer by the name of Robert Mnuchin. He hmm. is the father of oh. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. It was the highest Whoa. price ever paid for a piece of art by a living artist, $91 million. It's the stainless steel rabbit. looks like a balloon animal that je- artist Jeff Koons yeah. did. It was bought by Robert Mnuchin. Where the hell is he going to put it? <laughs> Who knows? Who even knows? Yeah, but so many mansions to choose from. Uh, yeah, okay. yes, exactly. There's so many places <laughs> you can yeah. put it. Uh, I here, hope he would give it to MoMA or something like that. You know? well, I wouldn't count on that, I, especially if you look at, well, yeah. anyway. Uh, so you ever ridden an Uber and you sometimes get a really chatty driver? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, where are we going with this? Okay, right. well, they uh, Uber is rolling out a new feature called quiet mode oh it's for people it's who like ride. the quiet car on Amtrak. it's like the quiet car now this isn't for every <laughs> single uber ride it's for uber black which is sort of their premium yeah, service which but I if never you get take. that no, neither do i but you can set it to quiet mode which means the driver will not talk to you on the ride at all there will be no talking unless you initiate it those are the rules that they have put into place uh, they also say that they have some other new perks that you can av- that you can use uh, that are only available on Uber Black. You can include lug- luggage assistance. You can also set the temperature of the ride uh-huh. uh, that you're getting into. So uh, again, this is just for premium riders, just for premium riders. So think about that next time you take an Uber. And one final story. Uh, I think I'd rather uh, have a driver talk to me than the driver be on the phone in a foreign language the whole trip. That's fair. I, That's that fair. happens a lot. I'm not one Boring of those people. cabs and Uber, but I, I don't really care what language you're speaking. I don't. Lo- I, I did. If I want to talk and they want to talk, I enjoy a conversation. I have great yeah. Uber rides. Uh, it's just picking up on social cues, right? Yeah, but I don't. Inter- yeah. Interacting Thank you. as yeah. a normal yeah. human, I don't, I don't see exactly why we need right. all these complicated rules. Right. Just you know. This is the Bill Press Show. You think you had a good year last year? <laughs> Donald Trump beat you 430, what, 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 $434 million he made as President of the United States. Uh, not from your dollars and mine, actually. Those are, uh, well, not many of them, I would hope. That's what he made from his Trump properties in that one year. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It's Friday, May 17, 2019. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we join you coast to coast, online, on the radio, and on television with all the news of the day. Uh, With the help today of Cameron Joseph from Talking Points Memo, senior political correspondent uh, here in studio with us. 
with uh, a lot to cover. You know, Cam, there is never a dull day in uh, Trump world, right? I mean, no. From the this is like a view. quiet news cycle by like Trump standards, and we only it have is. like nine big stories. Yeah, right. This right. Morning, so. We only have the immigration thing yesterday, the financial records that came mm-hmm. out, the, the story about um, Michael Flynn. I mean, relatively quiet. Yeah, right? and we're not even touching like the one or two day old major trade wars that we are uh, getting further into, and you know, saber rattling with Iran and. You know, th- those used to be oh, weeks. Come on, stories. that was two days ago. It's been, it's been like a <laughs> solid thirty-six hours since like we moved, tr- started moving troops to. Uh, I, I don't, the, you know, you've been writing about a lot of interesting stuff too. But one thing we haven't talked about yet this morning is this Michael Flynn news is a pretty big deal. So a judge yesterday said there's a part of the Mueller report that had been redacted mm-hmm. that had to be released, which mm-hmm. is unusual in and of itself. Yeah, he's the judge who will decide. How how much time Michael Flynn spends in prison, if at all, right? Because yeah. he hasn't been sentenced yet. So he said, I want the Michael Flynn stuff released. And what it shows is uh, that a couple of things. Number one, he did talk to the ambassador about sanctions. Yep. Right? Which is the, re- you know, that was the big crux of his own case and what the Trump White House had been lying about for a while. Uh, yeah, they said there were no contacts. Yeah. Well, then, oh, yeah, well, they had a conversation. But they didn't. That was just Merry Christmas, right? They didn't talk about sanctions. Mm, yes, yeah. they did. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the two parts of this story that stood out to me the most, I mean, that is obviously important. But we all kind of knew that it happened right. at yeah. this point. Uh, I mean, the, the, the thing that really stood out to me was that it wasn't just the Trump administration. It wasn't just the White House uh, kind of dangling this potential partner, you know, play ball with us, we'll play ball with you, however it was, um, but that members of Congress were involved, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I We don't know who, uh, but it, uh, you know, there, there's some people who were involved with, I, you could take some guesses. Uh, I mean, I think that's telling in terms of uh, people who, you know, normally should have been kind of keeping tabs and playing their role in a, in a congressional oversight Way uh, and I, you know, I, I don't know who this is. I don't know whether this is, is an actual well, congressman person on the staff. But um, there's some inferences you can make potentially here about who it might be. Um, and uh, the there kind of uh, matters. AKA yeah. Devin Nunez. I'm from California. Yeah, Mr. Nunez would be a guess of mine. I have no. I don't know. Some, the uh, some other people. Have, I'm not laying that on yeah, you. But yeah. some other people have said that, it looks that, like that is, Devin Nunez. That has right. been the buzz, uh, depending on you know where <clears throat> some some of the the information here. Also, if this isn't being released, and I don't know unless th- there's an ongoing investigation why this wouldn't have been released, because I don't see how this would have been particularly sensitive. And the the reasons for the redactions that Barr officially made. Um, Arguably. Grand jury testimony or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I don't think this falls into the categories no, that he was saying no, should have been no. redacted from. Right. Um, so in, unless this is an ongoing investigation, I don't know all the details of this, uh, it makes you wonder what else has been redacted here. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but but uh, so on this, on this point, um, in terms of obstruction, and we know that no matter what Donald Trump said, that Robert Mueller did say did ne- did not say the president did not obstruct. He mm-hmm. said 
He did on several occasions, yeah. at least attempt to. I mean, ba- basically he said, I'm constrained by the law that says you can't charge a president. But here are all the things that I would have charged anybody else with. Right, you know, right. It was kind of yeah. – I mean, the I and I honestly I, – I think the Democrats in some ways mishandled this rollout. I mean, obviously I think Barr rolled them in terms of you uh, know the, the letter I, and then a couple of weeks later the I press agree. conference. I agree. Um, Democrats should have been, oh, well, we want to see the whole thing. We want to see this unredacted – I mean, that, that's important, yeah. But that's, that's not the argument you can make to – the general pu- public on this. And I'm not saying this is the thing they should be running on in 2020 or something, but if yeah. you're going to be talking about this crucial report, look at the focus and the messaging should have been, no, Trump obstructed justice. This report shows Trump obstructed Trump. justice. Right. We're going to have Mueller come up here and talk about what he saw about Trump obstructing justice. We need to get to the bottom. We need to get all the other details yeah. that are being hidden. Directly. Here. But, Full yeah. stop, and, and and that should have been their messaging. Uh, and, and directly refusing yeah. what Donald Trump was saying: no and, and, collusion, no yeah, obstruction. And, and there's a legitimate legal uh, argument that bars made that uh, that you know fair-minded people make that you can't obstruct uh-huh. something if something wasn't done in the first place. But that that's something that should have been the Democrats should have litigated. And I feel like it was a huge uh, own goal essentially that they didn't. Right. And now there's certain you know, some are starting to circle back to that after the fact. But so among these lists, I think what's new here. Is among the the list of thing of of uh, some ten examples that Mueller gave of obstructing justice. Mm-hmm. There was the dangling of the pardon in front of Paul Manafort if he if he did, wouldn't cooperate. Yep. Dangling of the pardon in front of Michael Cohen. Yep. Originally denied, but that comes out in Michael mm-hmm. Cohen's testimony and in yep. the report. And now the dangling of a pardon in front of Michael Flynn. Yeah. If he wouldn't testify, so they they were clearly. Uh, yeah, I mean those were clearly attempts to obstruct justice. Speaking of pardons, Donald Trump did another two of them this week. Conrad Black, the uh, former owner of the Chicago the Sun, destroyer Times. of one of my hometown papers. Yeah, yeah right. And then uh, uh, that was earlier in the week, and he that this this was a purely political payback to a pal, right? I mean, the guy had written some flattering stuff about him, from what I understand. I, I haven't actually delved fully into this story, so I don't know all the details. But, yeah, that's that's how it struck me. I mean, he was not uh, – for one thing, we're sure, there is a process in the Justice Department where they review cases of people who are serving prison sentences mm-hmm. and either have been there too long, if they feel, or were there put there – improperly or incorrectly mm-hmm. and deserve a pardon people we've never heard of the only people Donald Trump has ever pardoned are people his buddies basically you know yeah Dinesh D'Souza right yeah. and um, Conrad Black and now yesterday another one Pat Nolan whom I knew when he was speaker of the California Assembly hmm. uh, and then he got caught up uh, Pat Nolan in a uh, um, was a shrimp scam. He was actually taking money uh, to help some. These were FBI people who pretended to be starting a big shrimp operation, huh. and they needed some help. So and they, shellfish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kim. Oh, okay, so oh, wow. <laughs> I'm just. Out of nowhere! <laughs> no, God, stunned me here. Yeah, I, I, I liked the beat that you took. He's like, did he just? He just. Yeah, did that know, just happen? Oh, it did. <laughs> I couldn't believe I heard that. I thought, you know what? Like, One of the final chances for me to be in the studio, I had to make the worst pun I could come no, up with. Right. It, it was. Right. It was I the hustle. Yeah. 
But anyhow, Pat Nolan is basically just a bro. He, and he served some time in prison, right, for that, for taking his bribes. Last time I saw him was at CPAC hmm. a couple of months ago, right? Because he came out of prison. He, well, no, while I was in prison, he started this sort of Christian. I, I found Jesus in mm-hmm. prison, right? And he started some kind of an organization. So Trump gave him a pardon yesterday. And the pardon is sort of his little plaything, kind of. I, yeah. The way he I, uses it. Look, and, and he's not, I mean, look, you can look at the end of the Bill Clinton era. The presidents have done some things yeah, with yeah. pardons that don't always make it look great. It, it is their prerogative, it is within their powers. Uh, but yeah, there's there's kind of an interesting pattern of who Trump is deciding to pardon right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, an interesting pattern too of some people that the Republican Party are, are are recruiting to run for office. You've talked about one particular one, a yeah, birther. Uh, yeah, I I don't know if she's full birther or whether she just likes retweeting things that criticize anything about uh, the president. But so basically, you know. Let's step back okay. up to, yeah. you know, at least maybe not 10,000, 5,000 feet. So Republicans, after getting shellacked in the House last cycle, are making this concerted effort to recruit women, to recruit female and, and minority candidates. Uh, and basically, they're, they're, they're trying to brag about some of their early successes. So uh, Susan Brooks is, is the congresswoman from Indiana, uh, recently came, you know, w- went into a meeting with Republican members and has talked about you know what they're trying to do, and here are five people they have who are already in, and, and look at us data points. We're making some progress, and one of the people they named was this woman, Irina Viorino, down in uh, Miami, who's trying to win back. She's running for the seat uh, that Carlos Corbello held until uh, last cycle, mm-hmm. lost to Debbie Mercasa Powell, and it's a seat that you know Corbello, a moderate Republican, you know. Pro, pro-immigration reform. Critic of Trump. and Critic of yeah. Trump, believes in global warming uh, in a, you know, moderate district that had, you know, tr- Obama barely won in 08. Hillary ended up being Trump by seven, 16 in the district uh, eight years later. So it's shifting some. Cuban-heavy district. And, you know, that, that was a district that, I mean, it's tough for a Republican to win again, but it's not impossible. So if somebody from Corbello's mold, you know, runs and runs strong. Um, so, you know, they're talking her up. Uh, the national Republicans are. And, you know, I mean, she looks, she, she's interesting life story, you know, Cuban refugee family started the, the successful uh, restaurant chain da- down there. Uh, but she's not like some squishy moderate like Herbella was. She's this hardline pro Trump woman who has appeared with him twice now, uh, sings his praises. Uh, and she's pretty wild on Twitter. You know, she, she's been retweeting some. You mentioned Dinesh D'Souza. She regularly retweets him, including when that college scandal broke. He was maybe jokingly, maybe seriously saying, well, maybe that's how Obama transferred into Columbia because he certainly didn't have the grades and all that. And she's like inquiring minds would like to know, you know, kind of like hinting like, well, did he yeah. cheat to get yeah. into Columbia? Um, there was a spliced up video from a right wing website. I think that- Obama's mother had like. Ten million dollars to pay to that whoever that guy was. Right? S- setting aside yeah, pre- right. presidents' yeah. parents being able to pay them into college, uh, yeah. I mean, so he and there's another video where she retweeted, which is an obviously spliced, badly edited video that made it sound like Obama saying, "I was born in Kenya, I wasn't born in Hawaii," um, and like you know, was like, "Why? What is this?" And and you know, I, and I reached out to her, thinking, "Okay, may, maybe this is like somebody who's like." got one of those like trolly right-wing senses of humor and mm-hmm. doesn't actually believe this but finds it funny to put out. And I asked her, and, I, and she's like, it was what the president said in his own words. Um, 
And so, look, she's it's pretty controversial. And I honestly, you know, talking to folks, it doesn't sound like this is who national Republicans necessarily want as their nominee in the swing district. But they're touting her right now because it's a convenient data point to show that they're not just the party of old white men. Right. Uh, and honestly, like she's the type and talking to Republicans in the district, they say, look, if we're going to have any shot at this district, it's not going to be with a candidate like her. Yeah. And, you know, it's but if these are the only types of can yeah, it's going to be really hard for the NRCC and national Republicans to recruit candidates in moderate swingy areas that, you know, a uh, s- somebody who who doesn't agree with Trump on everything uh, could potentially win a district. And, you know, they had a lot of members try and run away from Trump and lose their seats last time around. And it's going to be hard to get somebody who's, you know, a, a moderate female non-white candidate in a district like this because of the history. And so it's I mean, it's telling to me that that this is somebody that they've been talking about. Right. Now, in terms of related to this, in terms of recruiting women to run uh, and to get out and vote mm-hmm. for Trump for re-election and try to get back the House and, tr- and try to hold on to the Senate, um, to what extent is what happened in Alabama this week uh, kind of uh, run cross cross purpose to those plans? I mean, yeah, it, does the Republican Party question. really want to be in 2020 out in front, right? As yeah. the party that wants to totally ban abortion, yeah, like no exception. And I, you know, I mean, I think it was interesting to see Republicans are pretty quiet about the Alabama bill. Yeah, they'd been talking up some of these other bills that they were being passed in the state legislatures, even Georgia, the six-week heart being banned. Right. Some Republicans were out mm-hmm. saying, "No, this is great," and defending it. Um, I mean, when Pat Robertson breaks with you because you're going too far and trying to ban abortion, that says something. Uh, and I think that I mean the Alabama. Bill may not help the pro-life cause. Uh, some of these other bills that are going through the states that aren't aimed at completely overturning Roe v. Wade, um, but severely curtailing it, like the six-week bill, the you know defunding Planned Parenthood bills, the uh, push to you know put a lot of limits on the types of clinics that can do abortions. Th- those are you know de facto making it almost impossible to for women to get an abortion in a lot of states but they're they're lower profile so right. it's lo- slightly less but, inflammatory and right. the courts will let it happen i i think it's but interesting my yeah is, about the politics of this yes politically do they really want to make abortion which hasn't been for a while again no the it's number one issue, yeah and, right? I, and i'm actually starting like to work on this myself sex. i i think it's going to be really interesting Remember especially the same for sex the courts. marriage thing right yeah george bush made that a primo uh, and, and for it re-election. worked. I mean, I and think it worked for him. Yeah, that's why but, he won an O four. But in a lot of it ways. wouldn't work today, and it wouldn't have worked. No, it, it moves. But then you know, do you blame the party? You know, I mean, people aren't still blaming Republicans. I mean, some people are, but yeah. like you know, well, you, you were against uh, gay marriage eight years ago. Now we're yeah. never going to vote for you. That doesn't really happen with the types of voters that they can win. Yeah. Um, yeah. On this issue, you know, I, I think it, it's not necessarily like you're alienating female voters. Mm-hmm. Although obviously some female voters and some male voters are going to be very upset about this. If you look at the polling, there actually isn't that much difference between men and women on abortion rights. There, There's maybe, you know, uh, up to a five-point swing between male and female voters on abortion. It, it's a lot more about it, it, the bigger splits are education and race and all these different other issues that motivate this. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to alienate, further alienate college-educated college suburban, suburban white women, women, right? the people who 
abandoned who used to vote Republican were were W voters abandoned Trump over health care in droves largely right. over health care but also just over some of the chaos that's going on and some of the things he said right. and frankly they voted for Hillary too um, just they weren't always in the states that were the most helpful to her uh, and then basically handed Democrats this eight million vote win in the popular vote for the House last time around. I mean, you're sparking a fire here. Right. Now, this is yeah. a fire that, I mean, look, this gets a lot of people excited on both sides. I don't know how this plays politically. And I think the most interesting places are going to be some of these swing states with Republican legislatures. Uh, if the Supreme Court comes down with this ruling, which I think I, – I, I would be surprised if they fully overturn Roe, but I think there could be a severe, severe curtailing. My guess, they generally don't completely reverse precedent, um, although I don't know these new judges that well. Uh, right. But that could create a space where – I mean, Iowa's already passed a couple of, of laws. One, mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. of them have been caught yep. up in the courts. Uh, Georgia, which could be a swing state this cycle, passed the six-week heartbeat ban um, – heartbeat ban, sorry – and Florida has unified Republican control, and they haven't moved on this yet, but that could matter. Right. Uh, Ohio's argue could be a swing state. They've passed some really restrictive laws. This is going to become a huge state-by-state fight, and I'm wondering if the pro-choice forces are kind of fully prepared to take that on and what their messaging looks like, and that's something that I'm starting to try and tease out. Well, I do think I just want to uh, – um, point out, I think you're absolutely correct. The, the, the real threat there, a lot of uproar, rightfully so, about the Alabama bill. But I don't think that's the real threat. I think the real threat is, I agree with your assessment, that the Supreme Court, even the Roberts Court, mm-hmm. is unlikely to totally uh, reverse Roe v. Wade. Yeah. But what the real threat are the chipping away you know, and making yeah. it more restrictive which and, even with Canada and the court was happening. Just right, right. Pe- but they were trying right. to moderate, you know. And, and so you could see that they could say, well, we're not as extreme as you think we are, right? Uh, and yet, in yeah. effect, they could have very serious impacts on, on reproductive rights just by particularly the the uh, the uh, fetal heartbeat bill, right? Yeah. And, and, and some of these things six are— six weeks when, before most women yeah. know they're pregnant. Right. And, and I, I that will be interesting to see mm-hmm. what— that specific bill, what happens in the courts, because that I think is that's the type of thing that even if they don't fully overturn Roe, if they pass that, it's de facto and really gets people fired up and upset. It's the limiting what types of clinics can do abortions based on how wide their doors are and whether they have hospital admitting rights. Those are yeah. things that those yeah. are that's not a line of they banned abortion. That's a thing you have to explain to people and people who are, care about this issue are already locked in and they're locked in on how they vote. People who are swing voters, that's not necessarily because it's a complicated explainer uh, for them, not necessarily what's going to move votes uh, for, for folks who this isn't their first issue. Um, mm-hmm. But so, I, I mean, I, I, I think this, this is going to be a huge court fight, a series of huge court fights. I think and this could be by state litigious legislative battle in a lot of places. And I think this could be a very ugly process where – Abortion becomes maybe the defining issue of the 2020 election, depending on what the courts do. Right. And right. But, you know, and I'm not sure that's something that Donald Trump wants or a lot of other Republicans want. Right. I mean, I mean, Donald I, Trump used to be pro-choice. Right? I know. I mean, yeah. He, exactly. Back in the day, I mean, he he'd rather be talking rights. about immigration, hardlining. You know, immigration, maybe tariffs, whatever. I don't think he wants to be out there at all of his big rallies making abortion. 
uh, a number I mean, it, one. It's issue. great to fire up the base, but it's not necessarily a thing that's going to help him in some of these swing states. Sure. I don't know. We, have, we haven't seen this be politically road no, tested no. in my lifetime. I don't know how this is going to play. And this is a very yeah. hard issue to pull. And people have nuanced, complicated views that can be influenced by messaging and influenced by a debate. I don't I, know where America stands on abortion. I uh, honestly don't. Uh, yeah, and I've pointed out a couple of times, and I think it's it's significant that we're talking about 1973, which means that no woman under 46 years of age in this country has ever lived when in a country when abortion was illegal. Yeah, I mean that's more than half of the voting population. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it's just. And you're it, really and, going to you're really going to flip that overnight. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about people who like you know can remember were thinking about politics. Say if you know you're really precocious, you're 14 years old, and you're starting to dial in on politics, which you know, which is probably around the time when you know, you know, mm-hmm. it, this actual issue matters uh, more intrinsically to you. Um, so you're 60. That's you know, I mean, that, that's you're yeah, m- m- most. Right. More than half of boomers don't remember a time in this country. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this is not an issue that's been legitimately litigated. I mean, people talk about it, but it's always been an abstract thing. Uh, so I want to ask you about something else that's going on. And again, early in the week, this was like topic number one and mm-hmm. it sort of faded. That's the way it is. There's a news cycle these days. Uh, but with uh, the Donald Trump has really said um, that, that he's going to refuse to cooperate with any of the House committees. Uh, that are doing their oversight or investigative work uh, in terms of not providing any documents, any witnesses, any reports, any nothing, no cooperation uh, whatsoever, which some people say, Jerry Nadler among them, that we're already in the middle of a constitutional crisis. Um, Not on the way to one, but in the middle of one. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, Speaker Pelosi was asked about this because what can the Democrats do in response if the White House just refuses to uh, re, uh, to reply to respond to these subpoenas, uh, and there is this phrase called inherent contempt. If they can find somebody in violation, or I guess guilty of inherent contempt, yeah. then they could arrest them or fine them. Here's Speaker Pelosi about, Pelosi about that possibility. This is one of the possibilities that is out there. I'm not saying we're going down that path, but I'm just saying... It is not to be excluded. Nothing is off the table. So this is short of impeachment would be finding people in inherent contempt of Congress. Is that going to happen, do you think? I don't know. Where does this lead? I I mean, I think Trump is basically daring them to do it. Uh, Impeach or or anything, I guess. Huh? Yeah. I, I think he's basically trying. I honestly think he thinks this has become a winning issue for him in a way that you know, he's still worried about it, but he feels like he'd rather be talking about this than some other things, honestly. And you see him tweeting about it a lot for a reason. Uh, and it used to be more defensive, and now it's more offensive. And I think he's trying to go Democrats into what he hopes would be an overreaction politically that makes – I mean, look, he, his numbers are not good. He, he is locked in the low mid-40 – I mean, his, his, his approval rating has come up a little bit. It's, you know – Coming closer to 44, 45, yeah. which is kind of. But never the, above 50. No, but it doesn't need to be to win reelection. I mean, Obama's numbers are often in the low 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, but he, look, head to head against most Democrats, and we've seen in the polling, he's in the low 40s in his reelect number. 
that is a screaming warning sign. I've covered enough races with enough incumbents to know that if you're an incumbent a year plus out of your election and you're polling, you're at less than 45%, you're in a lot of trouble. And that's not just in the national polls. We saw a, a Pennsylvania poll that came out, one of the three, you know, four, three or four states that are going to matter the most mm-hmm. in this election probably. And he was trailing Biden by 10. He was trailing almost every Democrat he matched up against. And the only Democrats who he was basically tied with were the ones that people just don't know that well. You know, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, like people, average voter doesn't know anything about him. And he's tied with Buttigieg at like, I think it was 41 in the poll. So those are not, that's not a great position to be in. That's a bad position to be in. So what he needs is a game changer. He needs something to really shake things up. And... Getting impeached would certainly do that. You saw that help Bill Clinton's numbers substantially. You saw that kind of damage the Republican Revolution and watch them eat their own afterwards. Uh, so it really does. I, 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 I sometimes I wonder how much of it is just like him flailing at the closest thing, and how much of this is like a big step back strategically. And often I think it's a bit of a combination. I, uh, I think he is serious like he he might be trying to go democrats and a lot of democrats think he's go to, trying to go them oh, yeah. into this yeah. and that is i think one of the things that's deterring them from being a little more aggressive on this and it's problematic they don't really know how to handle this right now i don't think mm-hmm. right uh and um but at the same time you know they can't just roll over right and say well no yeah uh, yeah i mean they they're they're in I mean, he's I don't know if he's boxed them in. I don't. I don't know if this is like a real. Like, I, I'm not trying to predict what's going to happen here. I honestly don't know. I haven't been through one of these. Right. I don't know how this plays politically, and I don't know what they do. One thing we can predict, because he was here in the studio yesterday, uh, that mm-hmm. uh, Reverend Al Green from Texas is not giving up, and he he's definitely told us yesterday he is. He's not going to say when, but he's definitely going to uh, introduce from the floor and call for a vote on articles of impeachment. That's no right, matter. Mr. Press. Oh, thank you. Sir. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Kept calling me Mr. Press. I couldn't stop it. So. That's, that's kind of adorable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've got lots more to talk about. By the way, so the president's big deal yesterday was unveiling um, what he says is the answer to our immigration problems. He did so in the Rose Garden. Rebecca Entralgo joins us from Think Progress to let us know what that's all about, that plus other issues. Uh, we will continue here with Cameron Joseph as a friend of Bill and all of you. Give us a quick break. We'll be right back on the other side. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Friday, May 17, hello, 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 the Bill Press Show. Thanks for being with us. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital. It's the Iron Workers, the good men and women of the Iron Workers Union under President Eric Dean, who are our sponsors for this the last half hour of the program. They are men and women of the Iron Workers building America's communities today and ready to rebuild America's infrastructure tomorrow if the Congress and the President ever get around to uh, uh, infrastructure. Is this Infrastructure Week? I forgot. It's always, it's infrastructure. always. always infrastructure Week. <laughs> you isn't know it? by now. I, very exactly. <laughs> uh, check out their website at ironworkers.org. Cameron Joseph here uh, as a friend of Bill from Talking Points Memo for the entire hour. Uh, and joined by another good friend from Think Progress, Rebecca Entrago. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Nice to see nice you. To see Cam's you as well. always good to have you on board. Uh, and uh, we just want to mention again 
uh, the news about the program. We told you yesterday, but in case you um, had missed that, we have a uh, very exciting new news, a big new relaunch, if you will, of the uh, Bill Press Show in a different format uh, as a podcast starting the first week of June so that um, on May 31, that's at the end of our daily two-hour get-together uh, every morning, but we're not going away. We're just moving into uh, the actually which has become the, the fastest-growing broadcast format of the 21st century, mm-hmm. uh, which is a podcast. So it'll be a, a couple of podcasts a week, including one uh, where I join with a very exciting national personality. Well, we can't tell you about that yet, but we'll be announcing that mm-hmm. soon. So um, just keep following us. Keep watching the program. Sign up on for the podcast if you haven't already done so. Our existing podcast by going to BillPressShow.com. Sign up. And follow us on Twitter, and then you'll just be able to roof, move with us right into the new format starting the first week of June. How about that? Very exciting. That's that is awesome. very exciting. And thank you all again for uh, 14 golden years, fun years with uh, you guys have been guests, I don't know how many times. A lot of great guests. Uh, and Peter Ogburn there from day one. That's right, man. I was. I said I, I, we are the survivors. I was looking at some. I was looking at some photos uh, from like the very first year, and uh, it's really interesting how you have not aged, and I look like <laughs> hell after all these years. You look exactly the same, and I, when I first started, was twenty five years old, and now I'm I'm turning forty. So is, is this year. like a Dorian Gray situation, it, like the, the window oh between? Uh, literally. There was a picture of. Remember, when we went to the Diamondbacks game in in uh, Phoenix. Oh yes, yes. Thirteen years ago, I think. And there's a picture of uh, me, little baby face, <laughs> and you. It, you look exactly the same, <laughs> and I look terrible. <laughs> I, I have wondered at times whether you are a vampire. The only, like you're you're up after the light, so I'm pretty sure not. But like you have not. Like I mean, I've been on the show for seven years, and I look like hell as well. And like it's kind of amazing, though. Yeah. What is my secret? You'll never know. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little ominous. Right. Yeah, so, right. um, Rebecca, yes. I, I want to know about this. Uh, we want to know about the president's immigration plan yesterday. But the one thing we know is, well, you can tell by listening to him, this is something he really believes in. Mm-hmm. He's really behind. It's so much energy, so much determination, so much confidence Here is Donald Trump presenting his new immigration plan yesterday. Mm -hmm. Through these steps, we will deliver an immigration system that respects and even strengthens Mm. our culture, (laughs) our traditions, and our values. I mean, low energy Don Mm -hmm. here. You can tell, Kim, we've seen a lot of Trump. Oh, he he gets so bored reading off the teleprompter reading scripts. Even when it's stuff he cares about, Mm -hmm. if he has to read out loud... It starts sounding like like the first period of seventh grade, where the mm-hmm. teacher's making everyone go around and like read from the book. You know, mm-hmm. he went mm-hmm. on and on. Like, I mean, clearly it was not. I mean, this is not the Trump that when he comes up in front of the rallies into the crowds. And yeah, everything. yeah. Well, so, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, it's really policy heavy. I think it's probably the most policy heavy thing he's put forward or even suggested. But I would even hesitate to call it an immigration plan. There's no text of anything, right? I think um, all that really exists is you know, I think reporters were given like a handout that were that was basically like screenshots of a PowerPoint that Jared Kushner put together that was like four bubbles and it was like strengthen American economy, like very vague things. 
And I mean, there it, it doesn't really address immigration on the whole, like at all. It basically just uh, addresses green cards and visas in a very specific way. There's no um, attempt to how well, to deal with anyone who's unauthorized in the country currently. There's no border real there's no real border policy apart from i guess there's what i interpreted was going to be a slush fund of funding for border security that would be paid for by fees you know naturalization fees fees that would occur at the border so i mean to help build you know he wants 400 miles of a wall by i think the election i think is what he said um but yeah i would i would hesitate to even call it a plan because you know well and and congressional republicans would too because they didn't give him anything yeah like they they had this huge you know three four month build up and in this big rollout and you know Jared Kushner mm-hmm. and Mike Pence were, were at the Capitol presenting this to senators mm-hmm. they didn't give him talking points they no. didn't even give him like an outline of what this until like almost 24 hours after it actually rolled out and, and my understanding I, at least Politico reported now they've given them talking points yes. and, and, a, and a PowerPoint but I mean, it's kind of hard to build consensus even within your own party if you're mm-hmm. not actually going to sh- like share legislative detail. Yeah. Even Lindsey Graham basically indicated it's DOA and and not a serious. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and Mitch McConnell basically like rolled his eyes and moved along too. I mean, this ain't going yeah. anywhere. Well, that's because well, there were there are two already like bills that Republicans have put forward. Lindsey Graham has his own bill that would you know detain families for a hundred days, you know, eliminate Flores. Um, you know, force people to apply for asylum in their countries of origin if they if they're from Central America, and then Tom Cotton has the Reyes Act, which is mm-hmm. pretty much, uh, you know, bits and pieces of what Trump was talking about yesterday. Except for the Reyes Act reduces legal immigration by like half. This plan doesn't reduce legal immigration at all, which is why some like hard right people, like you know, Center for sure. Immigration Studies, Mark Krikorian, he he was like, you know, this doesn't do anything. We want we want we want a reduction in immigration and this plan doesn't do that. It just takes away visas from family visas and makes them, you know, work visas. Yeah, which is something Republicans have pushed for for a long time. Mm-hmm. This just doesn't start with Trump. Right. Uh, this right. is you know, the the idea of merit based versus family based mm-hmm. immigration is something that uh, a lot of business Republicans have wanted for decades. Uh, yeah. The way that they're doing this is different. But yeah, I mean, this but, isn't fundamentally like th- this is just kind of like a, a softer, dumbed down version of what Cotton mm-hmm. and David Perdue introduced a year ago when I was I, it was about a year ago. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I, I was I was on pool duty that day. I was like the pooler yeah. in the room. And, you know, I mean, look, say what you will about Tom Cotton. He understands this issue really well Mm -hmm. and actually had policy to unveil. Jared Kushner, it feels like, took the cliff notes of Tom Cotton, Mm -hmm. said, oh, what's most offensive? We'll take that out. Mm -hmm. Oh, and they'll sub this other thing in. Well, I I don't know. I'm busy with Mideast peace. Like, let's do this other thing. (laughs) And, like, it's it's slapdash and haphazard. And I don't think no Republicans I've Mm -hmm. uh, I've been hearing from think this is serious. So. No, but the uh, I'm going to uh, explore that a little bit with you. So the essence of it, as I understand, it really sort of turns immigration on its head, going mm-hmm. from family-based to merit-based, mm-hmm. right? So the classic American story of the poor immigrant coming mm-hmm. here yeah. to seek a better life, yes. uh, shining city on the hill, doesn't speak the language, but but learns it fast, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, goes to work maybe as a you know, handling the mail or something or sweeping floors and then works her way up and mm-hmm. starts a big jewelry chain or a big new bank or whatever mm-hmm. or a new railroads. And that's the American success story from immigrants. This says, no, no, no. When you come here first, you got to speak the language. Yes. You have to have your degree mm-hmm. or, you know, you make worth a certain amount of money or something. You've got yeah. To, there, there's all these it, boxes it, to check that, frankly, most Americans wouldn't 
make yeah. that. They're, they're trying well, to get people with money in the country. They're trying yeah. to get people. Well, uh, uh, and, and Senator Blumenthal pointed out yesterday, Peter, if we can, that there's the, the, <laughs> this would be a problem for uh, a lot of existing American families. Here's Senator Blumenthal. It is a mockery of what America means. Neither Donald Trump's grandfather nor my father would be able to come to America under this proposal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, an immigration uh, expert I talked to yesterday kind of put it really uh, nicely where she said that, um, you know, this would help. Um, this would bring a skilled like STEM worker into the country, but not a skilled farm worker. You know, you can you know, there's 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 ways to categorize what you think is you determine what is skill and what's not. You can be very skilled in a certain area, but if, you know, the federal government doesn't value what you do very well, then you're not going to be able to come to the country. Um, is is this what what does this do in terms of American jobs? I mean, there's always the I think the yeah. bogus argument that immigrants are taking the, jobs from the, America, the South Park, they're taking our jobs. Yeah, workers, right? I mean, I yeah, and, and bringing and, in people with these advanced degrees mm-hmm. and everything. Right. I mean, the the the, the thesis is well, these are job creators who will come in with money, and for yeah. every one of them that'll enter, you know, there will be seven jobs created, and and there's some data backing that up that that people who who you know high skilled immigrants who make a bunch of money do hire other people. Uh, at the same time. Look, we, we have a, a situation where there, there's large swaths of America where there are very few jobs and automation and, and globalization of really hard people. And we have parts of the country that have a lot of need for seasonal workers and seasonal employment that they can't get Native American uh, Americans who live here uh, mm-hmm. to do the job. And there are you know people who – there's families who, uh, who for generations have – worked seasonally and worked their way, you know, start starting in California, working their way up the coast of Washington and circling back. And uh, some of them, you know, staying in the U.S., some, some of them returning uh, to their countries of origin. Uh, that, that's changed over the years. The Bracero program, it was a disaster for a lot of reasons, humanitarian reasons. But, uh, you know, th- there, there were ways that this worked. And, you know, and, and not, not just on the West Coast. I mean, Upper Midwest dairy farmers can't find people to mm-hmm. stay with. And, you know, the we had a huge issue last year because they messed with the thing, the H two A program, yep. um, with with crab pickers. So, mm-hmm. you know, Maryland got crushed because yeah. these crabbers couldn't get the people to do the tedious and frustrating and 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 uh, frankly painful work of breaking crabs apart to get the meat out and slicing your hand fairly regularly. You know, there, there's there's just not it, it's not a job that even people who are unemployed in the, the United States often want to take yeah. and and they you know couldn't find people and so crab prices went almost doubled last year and people were uh, you know these crabs that people had caught were just wasting away on the docks and so the the idea that these are necessarily jobs that can be filled or would be filled by Americans uh, this doesn't happen, and so, and so no. getting, but th- th- that's a separate thing than family unification. Because mm-hmm. family unification is not, it's not economically different, right? It's it, it, the premise is not this is what we need, so we'll go go get those people to fill yeah. these types of jobs to bring this type of money. It's a humanitarian argument. But look, these are American citizens, and their kids or their parents are and and, and it's already a, a long and tedious process it can be you know 20 25 that, year wait time for these yeah. families mm-hmm. and the, the the argument is 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 that a moral thing that America should do but that gets to our values mm-hmm. right which mm-hmm. the immigration yeah. system is supposed yeah. to affect uh, a specific question what does the, the this new plan do 
I'm sorry, I'm calling it a plan, <laughs> proposal, okay. whatever. I wrote, I, I wrote it as a plan, so it's fine. What does it do about DACA? Nothing. <laughs> the DACA is not even mentioned. It's not addressed. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that it was too divisive. Jared Kushner, um, you know, when speaking with Republican lawmakers, said, it, you know, I want to create a plan that helps unify everyone. But it didn't really unify anyone at all. There were Republicans who felt alienated by it. Democrats certainly, um, you know, weren't, uh, you know, excited by it because it really didn't do much to address people already here. Um, and uh, dreamers especially, uh, you know, this is uh, the, the notion that it's um, divisive at all is really frustrating to me because, you know, there's consistent polling that, you know, over over 60, 80 percent of people in America really do want, you know, a permanent solution for the dreamers who, you know, right now they can renew their status because of this court injunction. But, you know, there are no new applications can be accepted. So there are people who, you know, are just living their lives in limbo. In some states, they can't get driver's licenses or undocumented people can't get driver's licenses. But, you know, DACA, you can renew your driver's license there. So you're, there's I have a lot of friends of mine who are undocumented and it's, it's sort of um it's really, really difficult to live your life in this constant limbo. You know, you're just sort of waiting for the other shoe well, to drop. Uh, it's amazing you could put forth any plan that would not talk about DACA because mm-hmm. it is such a big issue and right. has been for, for right. quite yeah. some time. Well, and, and Trump and it, himself is the one who threw it to Congress mm-hmm. and said— He loves to use them as pawns. <laughs> yeah. He loves to use Dreamers as pawns. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, look, the, the Dreamer program is obviously huge. And then the, you know, the I think its numbers move around, but mm-hmm. 10 and a half, 11 million— People who aren't dreamers who are mm-hmm. undocumented in this yes. country. Yeah, I mean, look, th- those are those are the issues that in f- most people are most worried about. Yes, whether wh- whatever side of the issue you're on is, there's a huge population of undocumented people living in this country, and how are, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And and again, this plan doesn't talk. About it doesn't that touch at all. any yeah. of the key issues. It, yeah. it, it's a forward-looking. Yes. how we're going to deal with future immigration, not what are we going to do with the people living in this country who have often been here for decades at this point and so it, yeah i mean it's interesting to me because meal. yeah and and it, and it really goes against what trump has been saying for a very long time which is you know there's a crisis at the border we need to deal with the people who are already here right now um and be making it so forward-looking really kind of was like okay well i thought we were had a national emergency um and you know maybe that's something he's planning on addressing through enforcement he tweeted about a lot of you know enforcement crackdowns um, there was um, some reporting from uh, South Florida yesterday where allegedly the um, federal government has been in contact with some sheriffs in Palm Beach County and Broward County say they're going to start sending about 150 migrants to those counties every single oh, week for yeah. an unlimited number of weeks. They didn't really say there's no the federal government had no plan on what to you know, how, where they're going to be housed, how they're going to take care of. There's going to bring them on an airplane, just drop them in Palm Beach County, <laughs> Broward County and just be like, deal. With, I mean, this, <laughs> this is your problem. So, I, you know, I, the, they can stay in Mar-a-Lago. Right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Mar-a-Lago is huge. Um, you know, there there are really um, important questions. The, the fact that there have been no details on enforcement is really concerning to me because they could be, you know, doing things behind the scenes that are really sinister. Right. Um, I want to totally switch topics here for the last few minutes we have left because we had uh, we have this very exciting Democratic primary going on, which got <laughs> yet more exciting yesterday. With by our count here, the official bill press count is we do count Mike Gravel, so we do, okay. we disagree with the New York Times that the official count with the entry of Bill De Blasio is number twenty four. Mm-hmm. He is number twenty four. Uh, he made his announcement yesterday on Good Morning America, mm-hmm. just about twenty four hours ago, with George Stephanopoulos as protesters 
are outside the studio uh, <laughs> chanting liar. It was not a great rollout, but here's, uh, here's that little exchange. We're doing things like guaranteed health care for all New Yorkers, including mental health care, the issue that Sherlane is focused on, paid sick leave, pre-K for all. These are things that change working people's lives for the better. All Americans deserve that kind of opportunity to live a better life. You say life. it's a tough city. We're hearing it outside. Some protesters. <laughs> a little serenade, George. <laughs> a little serenade. No sitting mayor has ever been elected president of the United States. Is Bill de Blasio going to be the first one? No. <laughs> Full stop. Look, Thanks, I, everybody. I, 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 look, I, I, the rest of the show, I've been, I don't want to predict on things yeah. are going to This is a complicated. Bill de Blasio, I, I, I would bet a, a large sum on Bill de Blasio not being the nominee. And I'm speaking as somebody who used to be the bureau chief here for the New York Daily News, who wondered why my paper was beating the heck out of de Blasio <laughs> so much, and then watched. Oh no, they're right. Like this uh, is hmm. like like no like like I I was calling around because I got a tip, but before it was reported, he was announcing. Like I had one good source telling me he's running. Another one that you know was a little fickle didn't quite confirm. All the Democrats I was calling, all the people, including people who used to be in his orbit, were like, God, that guy. <laughs> Nobody wants him to run, and mm. and in, in, including. It, Running the gamut from very liberal to moderate Democrats. I'm not just talking to like Bloomberg people up in New York, um, including some of his, his former consultants and former people who helped him win this are working for other presidential candidates right now. He can't hold on to staff. He has since his pre-K, uh, which which you know give him credit. Like the the universal pre-K was a big deal. Um, he hasn't had many major accomplishments, and while well, I think he gets blamed for some things going wrong in New York that are not really in his control, like the the subways Subway. falling apart, mm-hmm. uh, he people don't like him at home. Like he he's a barely above water amongst Democrats in New York City in polling. He's not and, popular in New York City. He's not popular right. in New York State, and I don't really know what constituency that he thinks he's going to find. And Rebecca, yeah. he is. Um, the 14th white male. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will say that as... And to, to join up. I will say, as someone who has mainly covered Florida politics, I don't know. The, the only thing I really concretely know about Bill de Blasio is that he's killed animals. The, the thing oh. that happened with the groundhog and the deer, <laughs> that, that is the, the two things that I know. Those are the two things that I know about Bill de Blasio. Well, the, the groundhog I know about. I mean, <laughs> he did... Uh, sadly, he, he dropped, threw a groundhog on no, the ground. No, he didn't. He dropped it. I <laughs> dropped of the all the things to go after. And it died. I know. I, look, he's a tall man. Yeah. That's a yeah. long, yeah. Like, way, as Sam, a tall and, and clumsy man, I'm going to defend Bill de Blasio on this point. But, by the way, that yeah, poor like, groundhog. Yeah, it's, and I wouldn't want to hold a groundhog. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're squirmy and they have claws mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. They should never have let him pick up the groundhog. I don't think that's going to be the defining issue of why he isn't. I only read about the deer yesterday. Like a Harlem deer that was like like hanging around Harlem, and then they relocated the deer, and it was like, oh, we relocated the deer, and it caused the deer so much stress, and now we have to put it out of its misery, and they like, euthanized <laughs> oh. the deer. Um, right. I can't remember if it was De Blasio or Cuomo. Okay. I think it was De Blasio, but I, I'm not going to blame that De story. Blasio. Is certainly going to play well in Iowa, where you're swerving at 80 in the highway Assume to try to deer dead. Uh, now, meanwhile, it may not be over yet because she was on MSNBC yesterday. Uh, and a former candidate for Senate from Georgia mm-hmm. was asked uh, the question. Let me just follow up on Ali's question. Are you prepared to shut the door on a presidential run right now? 
No, I'm not. I, I, again, as I've said before, I'm watching to see what happens. I think we've got a robust crop of candidates, and I think they're having important conversations. But my mission is to make certain that we are keeping that attention focused all the way through the campaign. And so I'm going to keep watching and decide if I need to jump in. Stacey Abrams, 25. It's good to keep her. This is a useful way for her to keep her name in the news yes. and keep us going around her. She is a very smart and savvy politician mm-hmm. who I have been covering since 2012 when she was in the state house huh. and is very is very good at building her brand. And I think that this is mostly what that is about. And frankly, I think a lot of people who are announced candidates they are building fundraising lists and building their brands, and this isn't necessarily about trying to win the White House themselves. But, I mean, Stacey Abrams would, I think, have been a formi- for very formidable candidate if she had jumped in earlier. I yeah. don't think any, almost any candidate can jump in in October in a field this crowded and win. Well, I uh-huh. don't know. Look, I, I, she's talented. Yeah. She's got good people around her. I wouldn't completely shut the door on that, but I'm skeptical she's serious about running. But Rebecca, a mm-hmm. lot of people are just hoping that she would run for Senate. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like with the majority of these people uh, running, they could, you know, the Senate is, you know, Republican right now. I mean, they, they could use a lot of Democrats running and challenging. Um, like Steve Bullock. I mean, Bullock mm-hmm. is Bill the Bullock, biggest Bill, one. Yeah, he, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, He's right. the, maybe the only one who can put that, you know, put Steve Daines uh, mm-hmm. on his heels and really have a shot at winning in that race. I think Bullock is the, the one that Democrats wish the most was running for Senate and not president. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a lot of pressure uh, pressure on them. Uh, we could go down the list. We didn't talk about Jay Inley's big climate change plan, <laughs> but we'll have to save that for another time. Rebecca Trago from yes. Think Progress, thinkprogress.org, and talkingpointsmemo.com or yep. org. This dot com. Cameron Joseph. Show. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>